0: Hello everyone. A short disclaimer for this episode. We do use explicit language throughout the episode, so I would suggest all small children leave now. I want to thank you and enjoy the episode. everyone and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach and this week we have a very special guest with us. We have Brendan Carrion from Full Metal RPG. Brendan, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, man. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm awesome. I Thank you so much for sitting down with me and having a having a good old conversation.
1: Dude, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is uh, this is my first time doing this. I'm very excited.
0: And hopefully not the last
1: oh yeah i mean uh it's it's really fun it's really fun and you know uh i'm used to interviewing people so it's fun to be interviewed
0: absolutely yeah i i completely agree with that uh but go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your podcast
1: okay great um so i guess i'm uh what you call like an old school gamer you know, I came into role-playing games during what, at this point, I'm calling, like, the second wave, second, I'm a second wave role-player. I listen to a podcast called The Grognard Files, and if you're into old-school role-playing at all, or the history of role-playing, it's a great, great um, podcast, It's it's and uh, it's about that very first generation of role-players from the late 70s, early 80s. I came in on the second wave which was the late 80s. And so these guys are about 10 years ahead of me. But uh, by the time I started role-playing, it was already an established thing that uh, had like a lot of different products and a lot of different games. A lot of different genres were already um, available. So it was already sort of an embarrassment of riches when I came around. But um, it's been something that I've been doing since essentially like off and on, since I was a pre-teenager, and now I'm approaching middle age. And so... uh, The way I like to think of it, maybe I don't like to think of it this way, but the way I think of it is (laughs) it's the only thing I'm really good at. Like, uh, it's the only thing I can do reasonably well as a person that I can be relied upon for. And I have, on some level, dedicated my life to it. Which, you know, when I set out as a young man, it was always, I always kind of thought, oh, well, someday I'll quit doing this because whatever, it's just a bunch of, you know, kid game shit. But uh, it has ended up being the thing that I. Always do. Um, about 18 months ago, uh, my friend Ben and I, he and I have gamed since. I won't, I won't embarrass you with how long ago he and I have g- has started gaming, because you, because you're a young man full of in, in the in the spring of your life, and uh, Ben and I are getting into the autumn of our own. And so it's been. Uh, he and I have gamed together for a long time, and about 18 months ago, he and I decided. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. We were being kind of cocky. We were like, oh, we're such, we're such fucking amazing role-players. We should do a fucking role-playing game podcast and really let the world know. We really need to, like, set the record straight about role-playing. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's kind of how the conversation went. And so we, we put together this uh, uh, role-playing podcast. uh Based somewhat on an Instagram feed I had started when I was living in Los Angeles, and uh, I had been trying to build a firewall between my music social life and my gaming obsession. Uh, So I built this uh, Instagram feed called Industrial Strength RPG, and we were initially going to call the podcast Industrial Strength RPG. And then one day I was kind of like, you know, I think when you think about full metal, and he's full metal RPG. Think that sounds better? He was like, yeah. So we've been doing that ever since. Um, we've had, we had some, little, some little hiccups in there, you know, where life got in the way or where uh, it just became kind of like, a, a, you know, problematic to l- release the show on a regular basis. But we've been fairly consistent. And uh, the show has gotten on some level more attention than perhaps i ever expected or that i ever thought it deserved but uh we continue to want to grow it you know we we spend a lot of time talking about um independent role-playing horror role-playing uh white wolf spend a lot of time hating on white wolf (laughs) and uh fantasy games i guess just in general uh we're very we're very crass and uh there was a whole period there was a whole period that I have I have I have stepped back from where I just did the show smashed. I was just drunk the whole time. If you, if you, you want to go back through our catalog and try and find those episodes where I'm slurring my words that's up to you. Uh, if that's if that's how you want to spend your time, but uh, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't. I, I, I want to be a little bit sharper <laughs> than I was during those points. I can't just sit there yelling oh, "fuck you" people, you know. Um, but so that's what we do.
0: You say this as you're drinking a beer on this. Ah, uh, yeah.
1: This is my third one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not smashed yet. Hey, look, if I if I <laughs> there there was a point. Where I would just, um, I'd get like a uh, uh, Quick Trip cups. You guys have a Quick Trip out there in oh, Tulsa. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it's our favorite thing ever.
1: Dude, look, I love Quick Trip. And I just I just fill it up with Diet Coke and and whiskey, and then by the end of the episode, I was <laughs> no no good to be doing anything other than just sitting on the couch watching Game of Thrones. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, no, no, I don't blame you.
1: <laughs> right podcasting that's podcasting for you
0: no i mean on on uh, my interview with justin uh he had a whiskey and i was a little jealous so i uh i texted oh, my fiance and was like hey can you bring me a glass of whiskey and i i shit you not like it was like this full with straight up whiskey and i'm like yes hey.
1: yes <laughs> that is how to do it that is how to do it there's no, no I, I like to pour some booze on my problems you know?
0: Yeah. Never hurts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, tell me a little bit more about Shadow Swarm Radio Hour.
1: Ah, okay. So the Shadow Swarm Radio Hour is uh, like a spin-off podcast that my friend Adam and I started after Full Metal RPG had kind of gotten off the ground. And um, because we were kind of spent a lot of time talking about White Wolf role-playing on FMRPG anyway, he and I thought well, let's just do a White Wolf podcast. Only White Wolf. And so we started that. And um we got some attention from some White Wolf people, some people who are affiliated with like the White Wolf scene on the internet. And that was very nice. So 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 immediately we got like pretty decent listenership just from finding like the right niche. Um and then I became like a complete idiot and like a total cheapskate. And <laughs> I was like, I'm tired of paying for two SoundCloud accounts. Let's just put them on one feed. And let me tell you, podcasting friend, as a as you're managing your brand, just spend the extra 15 bucks a month. Like, what is that? Like, you're not going to go to Denny's one time or something? Just sacrifice the 15 bucks a month. If I had, if I could go back in time and change it, I'd have them both have their own dedicated feeds. But at this point, we do an episode of Shadow Sworn once a month. We do an episode of FMRPG once a month. Uh, we keep that uh, Shadow Sworn radio hour all about White Wolf because we love White Wolf gaming. On some level... White Wolf Gaming is kind of, like, where I discovered myself, like, as a role-player, you know? I was role-playing before White Wolf, but when I discovered Vampire the Masquerade specifically and something like, here's another embarrassing number, something like maybe, let's say, let's just say 1994, okay? Um,
0: you realize that's the year I was born, right?
1: Oh, God, kill me now. Um
0: so people, did not people listening that. at home, that's twenty three years ago.
1: That's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. Um, when I discovered it at that, in that distant era, the nineties, <laughs> um, that's really when the entire notion of role playing kind of crystallized. And it, like, um, here's something to do with my friends after school. To being kind of like, no, this is a thing. This is a special idea. It exists in its own little kind of idea sphere. And the magic that it has has to be cultivated and kept safe and, and uh, grown and built. And at that point, I kind of, I don't know, that... At that point, that's really the moment when I started essentially dedicating my life to role playing. Everything after that's just a series of footnotes. Everything, everything after Vampire: The Masquerade, the second edition core rule book, is just a series of footnotes. Yeah, and I would take that book and I would shove it into the hands of any new role player nowadays. Except that I've been told by my girlfriend, who's much younger than I am, that. Um, that is it's kind of 90s and a little bit cheesy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, no. But let's <laughs> oh, be honest.
0: No. Let's be honest. The people that are writing or did write these books, they wrote them in that time period for a reason.
1: Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. It was a beautiful time. and It was a beautiful game. And Vampire, like, I feel like I've had a relationship with Vampire, almost like what you would have with a person, where it's like, i've grown as it's grown and there's been times when it's pushed me and there's been times i've pushed it and there's been times when it's held me back Mm -hmm. there's times when i've held it back and we've had our time apart and we've had our joyous reunion and uh what's so great about it is as i change as a person across the course of my life it's changed with me and you know, it's it's been a constant companion ever since then. It's never far from my mind. Vampire the Masquerade.
0: Yeah, and that's great. So it it can be easily said that Vampire the Masquerade is your favorite system.
1: Um. Well, you know what? Honestly, honestly, man, if I had to pick a favorite, yeah, it would actually be Vampire the Requiem, first edition. First edition, Vampire the Requiem is the game that I always wanted masquerade to be now masquerade has this huge built-in system and it's got this mythology right. and it's very it's very easy for a, for a GM to get seduced by all of that <laughs> and kind of forget what the game is actually about which is about personal horror and vampires because you're so caught up in the like oh it's the clan war between the Giovanni and the Ravnos and it's like it's like it it, it, bec- it can become kind of like, Like like superheroes, like superheroes in trench coats beating each other up on rooftops. Yeah, it's not really what the game is supposed to be about. the The Vampire, the Requiem, first edition rules set captures perfectly, systemically, the ability to play a game very much like Interview with the Vampire, Mm -hmm. where it's about individual people, their descent into darkness the personal horror that comes along with discovering that you are a bad person, you know that you are capable of terrible things and that guess what you have like an eternity to figure out just how shitty of a person that you are okay. and live with you know and then and 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 I I love it I love it for that reason um the best game I ever ran was Va- was vampire the requiem first edition second best game I ever ran pathfinder council of thieves oh what well, i don't even know what's on there i know we were just we, we were just on a roll i don't know third best game i ever ran uh vampire the masquerade slash the dark Ages giovanni chronicles the first time i did it and now i'm redoing it and it's still great still yeah, very
0: great. yeah i've heard recently on the podcast you guys have been getting into uh giovanni chronicles a little bit more yeah so yeah so you're you're rerunning that
1: yeah, and that's that's been kind of interesting because I've never like I mean, it's a module. Mm. Um, the first time I ran it, it's it's a four book module. and the first time I ran it, I ran it very much like we were talking about with um, where I focused on the uh, stuff in the books to me it was very important this is this is this is the moment when vampire was holding me back it was constraining me as a person in the late 90s early 2000s there was this weird kind of cult that developed around vampire the masquerade where you had these cannon hounds and i was one of them and i copped to it it was very embarrassing it's kind of like finding a picture of yourself wearing cross colors from the 90s and you're like oh no i thought this was so cool yeah I really thought it was pretty cool to be like it's, the kind of
0: is like, well, like me in plaid shorts in uh, yeah. in middle school. yeah
1: yes, exactly, exactly. Um i really I really thought that that is how you were supposed to run the game with air quotes. is is that you you went through every source book and you memorized every fact about everything, and then you cross correlated everything to run this perfect game that existed exactly within the canon. And um, when I ran Giovanni Chronicles the first time, that's how I ran it, paying extra specific attention to the canon and... Um, really only having downtimes between the books, which there's hundreds of years between each book, you know? So I just say, I do a downtime session where we would all discuss what our characters were up to during that downtime, and then we move on to the next book. Um, the way I'm learning it this time is, is is Geobody Chronicles 1 is essentially like a prelude, and then when it's done, we're going to get into the lives of the characters, which I'm much more excited about. Eventually, when we hit the point in the timeline. When Giovanni Chronicles Two happens, I will work in those elements. But there's no hurry to get to that stuff. I think the first Giovanni book takes place in 1333. The second book takes place in 1666. There's 300 years. It's going to take fucking forever to role play through. Because let me tell you, we've been playing Giovanni One for like six months, and we've gotten through like five days or something, ten days at tops. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's crazy. That yeah, that's insane. Yeah, you. You know, in a, in a lot of RPGs, I I find that that happens. It's like you you're playing for long, like a long time, and a little time has passed. Yeah, you know, yeah even with listening to actual plays, like something like Critical Role, I listen to religiously. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, from from the beginning, you know, when they they started streaming to now, it's maybe only been like four months, and they've been going for
1: like five <laughs> years. <laughs> you know. <laughs> great yeah right
0: or, or three years or something however long Ta- time dilates
1: is. it yeah. just dilates um so you definitely I, I feel like in order to keep like a narrative pace you'd want to make some jumps happen like for instance we, did you ever watch lost when oh, it was on tv course. several right? times great show until the terrible sixth season but we won't get into that yeah. um yeah the, the sense of how long they're on the island is very murky, right? It, it took them years to tell that story of being on the island, then off the island, then back on the island. You don't really know how long they're there. Um, but the characters are aging. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the people who play the characters.
0: The actors are aging, yeah.
1: actors are aging. Um, and so you, you have to kind of do some mental gymnastics in your head where you're like well i guess they have been on the island for a few years right uh, maybe when they maybe when they um went to los angeles they get on the island they go to los angeles maybe they were there for a few years and that's why they look kind of that's why they look haggard when they get back
0: yeah yeah seriously <laughs> but yeah yeah i completely understand that you know with with the sense of that dilation with mm-hmm. uh with story you know actual actual playtime versus you know in story time is is crazy mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's it's so you because it changes with everything you know you could be playing one system and it could it could be you know minute per minute but then you could be mm-hmm. playing another system and it could be you know playing for a year and it's 15 minutes you know it's just
1: yep yep it's crazy it can be kind of frustrating. It can be kind of frustrating, but on the other hand, that's also what leads to very rewarding stories, you know. And I think you and I are both story guys.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, are are there any games you're playing regularly other than uh, Giovanni?
1: Well, mm, not really. Outside of um, outside of like Warhammer, you know, we, we play a lot of tabletop Warhammer. We're doing the Shadow Worm again thing, but. Um, you know it's just kind of, kind of like you know you and i before the show started or whatever you and i were talking about like the the um, challenges that come with creating uh, a group that's stable and that meets this stable time yeah. i mean I, it, I i don't know if it's just because we're older that we're not able to do this because we have more responsibilities and life happens or if the world has changed since the 1990s when I was in my house in you know, days of role playing like every single week you know um but it just seems like it's hard to find the time everybody is really caught up everybody's got a lot going on and you know the podcast itself takes up a lot of time plus plus I have I have other projects I know that you're a writer um I do some writing as well you know um just have to find that time for everything, and so right now, the only thing that I feel like I'm, I can I, I I can dedicate enough time to is is Giovanni.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I completely understand that. You know, we're we're doing uh, our seventh C playthrough or actual plays, but technically, we're doing it in place of the podcast that week. You know, mm, so, yeah. So instead of doing a podcast and then a game on top of that, we're still meeting the same time on Sunday getting together for the same amount of time and just playing instead of recording, you know? So it's,
1: that's smart, man. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're taking that time and you're utilizing it for two different things. And that's, that's really smart. That's a smart way to go. You know, Um, I end up having to kind of compartmentalize like a lot of different stuff, like in terms of how I spend my time and it comes down to how I spend my lunch breaks at work. Like I'll take my lunch breaks uh, and I'll take, I'll take uh, model kits to work with me. Mm-hmm. to build on my lunch break yeah. so that I don't have to build them at home, you know, because um, I'm a big proponent of uh, of getting to the gym. I'm a big gym guy. I want to get this out to the gaming world. Mm-hmm. Like I, I make time to go to the gym and lift weights, you know, because I don't, you know, I think that there's like a lot of bad health in our scene. And like, I, I really noticed like um, when I was in my mid to late twenties, I swear to God, dude, at my favorite local game store, Two guys died of brain aneurysms. Two guys. And it's just like uh, you got to live like a somewhat active lifestyle. You got to make that time to get out and get the blood flowing. And, to you know, I mean, gaming is a sedentary hobby. So you have to make time to do something other than be sedentary. Yeah. So every, every minute counts, man. And I try to use – I try to schedule time for everything, podcasting, gaming, game prep, other gaming, other game prep. you
0: know exactly yeah and and my schedule you know on my side of things work has me every day from four to midnight so yeah yeah it's brutal but yeah i mean that that takes you know weeknights out of every equation Mm -hmm. so it's just uh, balancing everything else, and especially right now, uh, <laughs> we are uh, we we just went into contract for a house, and so so we're busy with that too, and and a bunch of other stuff. We're getting married in August, so. Hey,
1: congratulations. congratulations! That's coming right up, man. Yeah,
0: I know it's gonna. That be is
1: great.
0: Yeah, we're headed out to uh, to Santa Barbara and getting married out there. So. Oh,
1: wonderful! Yeah, Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, California.
0: Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah beautiful
0: yeah beautiful it. yes it. it's great
1: that is that's that's a great place to get married man congratulations to see you
0: thank you thank you my friend um anything else you want to say about yourself before we get into our main topic
1: that's it man that's all awesome. i got
0: awesome well it is an interview but we are still going to have a main topic um it's a little strange for my interview process, but I wanted to try something new. Let's do it. Because I know Brendan and I have, have a similar mindset with uh, the, the types of games we like, so I think, uh, I think we can fill some good time with that.
1: Good, good. What you got for me? Uh,
0: basically, uh, a main theme of storytelling games. You know, just, just getting a, a general conversation about that. Um, first off, what drew you to, uh, to storytelling heavier games?
1: Um, you, <laughs> all right. All right. I'll be totally honest with you here. The uh, story, this, this is not going to make me look good. the eyes of my fellow gamers. Okay. Um, when I started gaming, we were, we were playing two games. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons, second edition, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. All right. And we were playing Vampire the Masquerade. And I loved Vampire the Masquerade because the system was so simple. It's a dice pool system. You, just, you literally have dots on the paper. You add up the dots, and you roll the dice, and you're looking for particular numbers to come up. And that was very easy for me. Now, the fact that this all took place in this world of gothic horror, vampires, and like beautiful people and nightclubs and machine guns and stuff, of course I was sold on that material, of course. But the fact of the matter is, when it came down to running stuff, I didn't know how to calculate Thacko. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't fucking figure it out. <laughs> hey, like, I, can't,
0: I can't to this day figure it out. So. <laughs> no,
1: dude. I ran a fucking Ravenloft game like a year or two ago and it, I, it, I fucking hate Thacko. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Literally in the 90s, I'd be sitting there and we'd be playing and I'd have to I'd be sitting next to somebody who could understand Thacko and I'd just tell them or that I'd have them tell me what to roll. And they'd say, you roll D twenty and you're trying to hit this number and I'd do it. But to this to this day, I don't know fucking how to calculate that go. And um I'm not a math guy. I don't like math. And despite the fact that the group that I ran for back in those days, um, I think would rather have played advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. We played a lot of vampire because, A, I love vampires, B, I love gothic horror, and C, the system's fucking easy. It's really fucking easy to run, and anybody can do it. Um, When I was in high school, we had this guy who ran the role-playing group, and he um, was a couple years ahead of us. And he was like, okay, he's kind of a strange guy, not going to lie, as a lot of GMs are. He's kind of a strange guy. And he graduated, and um, I remember there was this moment where everybody was sitting around and we were like, well, I guess the gaming group's over. And I kind of was like, well, hang on, hang on. Like, I don't want the gaming group to be over. How about we go, um, come over to my house in two weeks and we play vampire. And they were like, I remember everybody was like, what? Like you are going to run the game. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, no, you guys don't want to run the game. I guess I'll run the game. Yeah. And so that meant, I, I ran it. I had a great time, I had a great time, and uh, the rest is history, man. I just, I really don't. I barely play. I, I barely ever make characters. I run and I run and I run and I run, um, and it was in. I, I'm not when 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 I first started, dude. I was a kid and I ran these really shitty games that were all about like. My friends all have leather jackets and machine guns, and they walk into a like a, I kid you not like a mall, and there would be vampires there with leather jackets and machine guns and katana's, and then they would all fight in like the food court. I mean, it was really bad. But at some point, I discovered those stupid Storytellers Guide two books, and I started reading those things where they are like, oh no, you know your game doesn't have to just be like a series of battles. You could have it be about a love affair that takes place across centuries and I was like it's kind of like really do you, could you actually do that and so I started experimenting with it and guess what that shit's way better <laughs> that shit yes, yes it is. <laughs> that shit's way better than those mall battles <laughs> I don't, yeah, don't know why yeah. they happen
0: I've got a funny taco story for you
1: mm. Land on me. So
0: uh, years ago, my uncle my uncle lives down in Texas, in Austin. And uh, you know, years ago, he came over. This was maybe three years ago at this point, but uh, he came over and uh, you know, just visiting. And uh, you know, I told him I, I don't know if I told him or whatever. Something something came up to where uh, he found out I played D anD. D. And he started telling me all these old stories and, and how he made, uh, you know, he's, he's a fucking genius. Like he's absolutely, like he can, he can skim through a book and memorize it. You know, he could tell you anything on any page. He's one of those guys. He, he had made, uh, a, uh, like a, a wheel chart, you know, you, you got like a, a board that's in a circle and you know, you, you move the top thing and it reveals something else, you know?
1: Like like a color
0: wheel. Yeah, kind of like a color wheel. Yeah, definitely. But he had made one of those for Thacko.
1: Where where was this game aid? Where was this game aid when I was young?
0: At his house. He was
1: the uh, only one that had uh, it. Uh, oh <laughs> man. Oh he could have made a mint selling those he, things. Did you tell
0: really him? I, oh, no, I did.
1: Jesus. I did. But,
0: but man, um it was it was so hilarious because I'm like Even he needed something to calculate (laughs) (laughs) Thacko. Like, biggest math whiz I have ever seen, ever met. And he needed something for Thacko. It just blows my mind.
1: It's so non-intuitive. And this is why when the the 3.0, 3.5 era came, everybody embraced it with open arms like it was the Messiah. because, Because armor was a positive trait. If your armor was higher, that meant it was better armor. It never made any sense to me, and they'm like, this guy's got negative armor that makes it better. I'm like it seems like if you have negative armor, that's a bad thing right well i I I'm just a simpleton. I'm a simpleton.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, let me see. Kind of hard to answer that. um when you run games, you know mm-hmm. since, since you are the gm for most of your most of your games um do you prefer running a setting that is you kind of answer this later you kind of answer this (laughs) but um do you like running established settings you know something that's already written or do you like writing your own
1: well i can give you uh an answer specifically to that and that is i do like to pony off of something that's already published because it's a lot easier um and then does that sound lazy i don't know
0: no no it, it's it's honestly it's less preparation you know it's yeah it's less if like okay take 7th c for example do you know much about mm-hmm. 7th c
1: you know i can't say i do but go ahead
0: but uh essentially it's a you know 17th century kind of uh kind of europe it's essentially sure. europe it, yeah it, but but you know as, as John says it's it's
1: it's not Europe that's what he says it's exactly.
0: not yeah, mm-hmm. it's seventeenth century, not Europe and uh and that that setting's already done mm-hmm. it's it's there for you it's there for you to read, it's there for you to get the information off of, and that mm-hmm. way, you know i I like that in the sense that you can create more story because you have mm-hmm. more time to devote to making the story instead of having to make everything setting story etc etc
1: absolutely um vampire the masquerade did this great series of books uh in its first and second i guess even its third edition iterations that were called like city name by night so you had like washington dc by night los angeles by night montreal by night these books are great because you get a brief history of the city you get um Some NPCs that you can then kind of like sprinkle in or change as as needed. You get like the basic seeds of a story that, again, you can change as needed. But it gives you some kind of like idea fodder. Um, And it gives you some maps and some locations. Mm -hmm. So that's all. It's a great springboard with like a bunch of basic work done, like a foundational work that I don't have to go do. And this is really where Vampire the Requiem fucked up as a line. They didn't sell. They sold one one book that was a by-night type book, and then they kind of were over it. They were trying to move on to stuff that had more utility for more people rather than just GMs. So what that meant was is anytime you wanted to run a game, you had to sit there and you had to... Th- it's, it's a game about vampires. So They live fucking hundreds of years. You couldn't just be like, oh, I'm going to run Phoenix by night right now, starting right this exact second. You had to think, well shit what was going on in Phoenix 200 years ago i guess i got to bust out wikipedia i got to look right. at the old maps i got to figure out what the political situation was and the social tensions and the the like intersection between race and class and, and 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 how that works into clan and faction and it just became it was a lot of work on the front end so i like to take something that's been written already and then mix it up i like to fucking yeah. throw it in the blender because because no I've, I've never read anything that i liked as is just right away with perhaps the exception of beneath the inverted church by justin cerrois yeah.
0: yes which
1: i I feel like that thing you could pretty much just run by just saying "go." Uh, scenic Dun with Dunsmouth, uh from Lamentation of the Flame Princess—you can run that thing just as it as it goes. Yeah. Everything else, I feel like you've got to sit down with a legal pad on one side and the book on another side and a pen, and, and just start taking notes.
0: Yeah, you know? no, no, I completely agree. You know, with me, it it, it depends really on the game. You know, something like. 5th edition, which I have made my own, more or less. Um, I enjoy making the setting for that. Because, mm. because, you know, something fantasy... In my opinion, some of the stuff that they've created, um, you know, some of the settings they've created, are kind of gimmicky, honestly. There's not enough uniqueness. There There aren't, aren't that many aspects of it that are you know 100% unique. You know, you can always track it back to something else.
1: Yeah, man, like generic fantasy is like, I don't know, man. Is there something about it, right? Yeah. You oh, want definitely. you want you want something with a particular flavor, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um and and you know, with something like 5th edition that needs a little bit more story behind it, I I mean, I think go all out in in that sense you know my my last actually the the uh setting I've run most in fifth edition is is kind of like a post apocalyptic almost like um undead infested kind of land where uh i mean it's it's that
1: sounds amazing that I, sounds fucking rad
0: you might have to pick up fifth edition back there in, in the big old pile and uh and all that, one time
1: dude that does sound good do you have notes do you have notes that you can put on like a google drive or something i definitely
0: could i could i could type something up i definitely dude,
1: could glad to see it
0: yeah i mean it's it's really great because i'll tell you this because you find this out for a session mm-hmm. there's um you know there's a a very strong presence of you know undead evil coming from somewhere in this continent. You know, you're part of this organization that, you know, that is, is, uh, is really devoted to going and seeking out undead presences and, uh, and taking them out, you know, finding the source and eliminating it just to cleanse the, the, the earth, you know, just keeping it clear of, of this undead evil.
1: You know, I think that that's, uh, that is a premise for the contemporary fantasy game that allows you to work on the kind of model that fantasy games are just intrinsically based on without having those weird kind of like uh colonialist sort of like white supremacy overtones yeah. that comes with the sweep and clear of the orcs and the goblins, right? Right. Where you're like, you're like, you're like, wait a minute. Aren't these people part of a society? Don't they have like families and shit? You know, when it's like undead, you're like, oh, it's these guys are obviously blights on nature. They're, they're an,
0: sentient beings, essentially. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Their their entire existence is is corrosive to reality. Exactly. They must. Yeah, I dig it.
0: Yeah, in, instead of a race, they're more of a pest. Kind exactly. Of, kind of idea. You know that that idea sparked from um you know matt mercer on critical role he has created a couple um classes for for D fifth oh really yeah and uh you know he, he's created a gunslinger which is based off of the pathfinder gunslinger class okay just more for fifth edition and then uh he created a blood hunter and it's essentially take you know the witcher you know, it's mm-hmm. essentially like The Witcher. So they go out and they have a specialized, you know, kind of foe that they are better against. Oh, okay. You know, and so one of one of my my players, one of my friends, wanted to run that class, and I was like, okay, so uh, so let's give it. Okay, what what do you want to fight? Let's go undead. Okay, so let's let's make an undead campaign. Why not? Because mm-hmm. you know, having this protagonist being predominantly undead you know anti-undead you know just build that world around you know something important
1: yeah yeah kind of like a a little bit like 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 blade slash i am legend like this kind of thing
0: yeah yeah definitely and i think i think it went really well they they enjoyed it they're wanting to we we've been away from it for a while um just because of scheduling conflict and everything And they're wanting to get back into it because i just ran it for two of my buddies and and uh you know we got together when we could and and ran it but yeah you know something something like that where um where it's more beneficial to to write your setting rather Mm -hmm. than rather than getting a setting that's already pre-established yeah you know that's 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 when i choose to write
1: cool no I, i i totally feel you because the sword coast sucks i do not like it I wish that they—the fact that they've done nothing, like like Fifth E has been out for years now, and there's not a single other campaign setting. Much less have they even just expanded the Forgotten Realms. They're like they're doing this kind of like Pacific Northwest of the Forgotten Realms thing. It's I mean it's like Oregon, you know. I mean, come on. There's a whole there's a whole map, man.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I I think they could be going farther with that and you oh, have lost a lot of people to work on independent stuff
1: yeah yeah uh during the fourth E era pathfinder was the thing that was kind of like bumming D out because people were just basically saying like oh here's an upgraded version of 3.5 i'll just stick with that that's more yeah. fun anyway
0: exactly
1: and and now people seem to be kind of like if they're not, like, really into that very specific flavor that Fifth e is giving, they're kind of like, there's all this other different stuff out there. And it's great because we live, I mean, with Kickstarters and everything, yeah. we live in this crazy era where there's just all kinds of amazing shit available, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, no. I, I completely agree. Um, I've said many times before, uh, Kickstarter has taken a lot of my money. And it's a, it's a bittersweet feeling, <laughs> you know, because I'm getting all these it great is. products, but I'm spending a shit ton of money.
1: Oh, buddy, you don't have to yeah. tell me, man. You yeah. don't have to. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Oh, no.
0: no, definitely. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, um, I wanted to bring something up. I remember, I don't know how long ago, but I heard on your podcast uh, you all talking about Wraith okay yeah the system wraith
1: yeah we did a whole episode about it
0: yeah um that that seemed really interesting to me mm. um, because it's, it's a white wolf uh, correct system isn't it correct now is it a system or is it a uh is like a like a setting a supplement
1: well okay here's the thing about white wolf um from the classic world of darkness era and they've gone back to calling that world of darkness they called their um there are other properties uh, that they spun off after they did this big world-ending event. They've started calling that Chronicles of Darkness. So there's so there's a dis- distinction between those two things. So in the 90s, they did a series of books called The World of Darkness that was all in one universe, was all in one kind of IP universe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a series of different games based on gothic horror um, monsters. And they did Vampire which is Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, right. Mage the Ascension, uh, Wraith the Oblivion, Changeling the Dreaming, then finally, when they were kind of running out of ideas, they did Hunter the Reckoning, which is a garbage game. Don't even bother looking at it. <laughs> um. So Wraith all of those all of those games work on a system called the Storyteller system that's based on a dice pool mechanic where you have a page that's full of dots like you're taking the SATs yeah. you fill them in yeah, and just, then it's
0: just like 7C that's Oh, is
1: that 7C how 7C like, does yeah. it? Attribute plus ability roll. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same thing. Um and then they all took place in this in this so they could all cross over, right? Like you, a, a vampire could interact with a werewolf who could interact with a wraith. And uh, so so wraith was its own setting, being entirely about ghosts, people who had died and were in this strange underworld. Um, but you could also cross them over with vampire and any other game. But it was sort of a, a failure on their part to, to create a—it it has a cult. Wraith has a cult that is mm-hmm. that is fervent about it. But mostly Wraith gets used by your average storyteller as like a mechanic to introduce ghosts into other plot lines. Like I've used Wraith in lots of vampire games, mm-hmm. but I haven't run Wraith since the nineteen nineties because it's a very, very strange game. Yeah. It, it 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 differentiates these different like layers of the of this underworld that you live in where one layer is essentially like the sixth sense where you're like a ghost, but you're interacting with humans a lot or like trying to. And then you go all the way down into this incredibly surreal kind of like hellscape called Stygia. Um, And that's because when they very first wrote the game, it it was called Hell. As okay. I recall, that was this was in this is this was in um, the introduction to the first edition, Rave the Oblivion, the soft cover. Mm. Um, they were playing a game about people who had died and gone to hell, and then I guess they felt like maybe that wasn't going to work. The '90s were a different time. The religious fundamentalists were really putting a lot of pressure on role players to mm. s- deliver a specific product that they felt like they could live with, even though they thought we were all demon worshippers. Right. So they they changed this game to be a little bit more like gothic. And a little bit more, kind of like willowy, spectral wraiths, rather than like people who are trapped in an eternal torment. Um, even though it still had these weird aspects of that, where you live in this like crazy kind of um, uh, Guillermo del Toro surrealistic uh, realm of, of of punishment and torture. It was it, it's a, it's a strange game. It's a strange game. I have mixed feelings about it.
0: Yeah cuz cuz isn't it like the overall premise like one of your players is you know a person and one of your players is a, a wraith that can accompany this person i mean that's it, it was so long ago i'm yeah. remembering basic context
1: the the way it works is everybody has everybody has a, a wraith they're playing and then you divvy up depending on how the storyteller wants to do it the roles of the players like dark psyche Okay. So I'll be playing my character, but then also, I might be playing your sort of like um, like the little devil that sits on your shoulder. Gotcha. I'll be playing and th- and that's the aspect of your personality. It has its own character sheet that I keep with my character sheet. Mm-hmm. And then I gain experience for that little mini character sheet by essentially in game, tempting you to do shit that's not in your best interest okay <laughs> like okay, yeah. so, so so we'll be in a scene and you'll be like um i don't know you'll be like hanging out in an apartment like looking at your girlfriend who's still alive and you'll be like i wish i was still alive and i could hold her or something and then i'll be like like oh man she's got a new boyfriend you know what you should do break the mirror <laughs> you know <laughs> you push that guy out the window yeah and if you do it then I get experience points.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, That's great. So this is
1: a this is an incredibly destructive game. It's an incredibly destructive game because I have stuff that I can offer you uh-huh. to to make you do these things. I have systemic bonuses that I can give you in exchange for these actions that then okay. cause me to like get better. And so it, it's a downward spiral. That game is designed to play a downward spiral, and it happens about as fast as a toilet flushes, let me tell you. If you get a few sessions out of a Wraith game, you're doing pretty well.
0: Awesome. Sweet. Um, I don't know exactly how Vampire works you know, in-game, in um, but w- when you GM, do you, uh, do you tend to give players some power to affect the main story in a major way?
1: Oh, absolutely good absolutely the the thing that really bothered me towards the end of the original Vampire the Masquerade run in its third edition revised era was the way it took agency away from the player characters the in a, in an attempt to build a storyline that, that corresponded to their mythology white wolf introduced this series of signature characters mm-hmm. which were like NPCs that had their fingers in all the pies that were going on in the in the in the major storyline. And every time you were trying to do something that affected what was going on in the world, you would encounter one of these guys. They were like already there. You know what I'm saying? And so your characters just became these kind of um, people who are observing what a bunch of much cooler, more powerful guys were doing. And I suspect between you and me that a lot of these quote unquote signature characters were player characters that were being run by the developers and Absolutely. the writers. You know? And that just it just felt shitty. Just felt fucking super shitty. Yeah. And so when I when I run, I don't fucking deal with that shit. The story is about the players. It's about their fucking adventures. It's about, the, it's about the changes that go on with them, the struggles that they overcome, and what that puts out into the world. And then, when it's most fun for me, how that comes back to them, you exactly. know? And, and that means you got to know your players better. That means you got to know their characters. You've got to be invested in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's, that's the funnest shit, yeah. you know? That's, that's, the best, that's the best part.
0: It really is. You know, I'm I'm the kind of GM that likes to ask a lot of questions just to, you know, a see how my my players react, see how the characters react, both getting to know the characters and the players better. And uh, you know, just, just going off of that, you know, because I had I had a heavy background in theater in high school. Mm-hmm and uh improv was a big thing for me, so I mean I don't usually have a problem with coming up with reactions on the spot you know based on if they they go left instead of right and yeah you know, et cetera et cetera but you know it's it's just uh you know I think being a GM in a storytelling setting in a storytelling game is all about you know knowing how to react in the right way you know to to whatever the the uh whatever the players want to do. And and that's why I don't, you know, I, I give them an open chance to go, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, I want to do this. Boom, let's go do it.
1: Let's go do it, right? I mean that's the most rewarding thing in the world. When the players I used to have players do this thing where they would have little meetings without me. They would like they'd be like, no, you stay here. And then they'd all go and they go in the court and they conspire and then they'd come back and they'd say something like we're gonna establish our own drug cartel. And I'm like, brilliant. You know what? You just wrote the next fucking fifteen sessions for me. Cause that sound yeah, how, you know, because you guys are doing something, you're showing some agency, you're making the story your own, and on some level by doing that, they're communicating to you what it is that they wanna play. So that way you know, you're, you're. Sometimes people show up and they expect the GM to be kind of like a, like a bear that juggles while he's like riding a unicycle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they're like, they're like, like, entertain me, GM. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who the fuck wants to do that? You know, exactly. it's like I don't want to guess what you think is great. <laughs> you tell me what you think is great. I will facilitate it and let's fucking do this thing. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Because you know how many GMs are out there that don't care. If the players don't like the story they've written, you know. I it's, mean, it's a thing where you know, at that point, it's not about being uh, the GM for the players; it's being a GM for an audience that you don't care about.
1: the 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 GM who would rather be a novelist is definitely something that I've encountered a couple times, and it's like usually kind of an eye roll inducing event. Mm-hmm. But it only lasts one session. Yep. And then you go home, and you don't have to go back. You know, and that's fine. Some people really like that. Some people like kinda want to be like ushered from one room to the next and to kinda have a experience curated for them. That's fine. That's what if that's what if, if, if that's the relationship you've built with your GM, you guys are both happy with it, cool. Yeah. Um and who am I to say that gaming is only one thing? But uh that's not what I do. It's not what I do. And that's not what I expect out of my my players. And I found I have found that the players who I have brought in who expect that, they tend to leave. And that's cool. That's cool. You know, follow your bliss, my friend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I usually, depending on what what the setting is, you know, the actual real world setting, you know, I I usually go to my players you know, even before session zero before we know what even characters were doing. you know I, I want to go, what do you want to get out of this? you know what? Yes, what, what kind of like what kind of relationship do you want this to be? Do you want me to come up with with a bunch of stories and you run through them? Do you want to suggest some stories? I mean, you know have have like a good meeting with everybody, you know, just have sure. an, an open round table discussion about it. and I, I think that. Is the most successful thing that a GM can do is getting well, input from from your players.
1: I I will say that there's one of two ways to go. Mm-hmm. You can the, what you're doing is very democratic, and I think that um, as long as everybody's being fed, then it's great and it'll totally work. I have found that, like, I have a kind of codependent streak in me, and there's this part of me that, like, definitely tries to please everybody and then ends up pleasing nobody. <laughs> so something that I have done as a GM is to write a list of things that I want out of the game, and then I tell people, this is what the game is going to be like. This is how it's going to be. If you're interested, please come. If you're not interested, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. There will be another game some other time, you know? And that works well, too. but I think what's critical to both of those styles is that there's communication on the front end, that everybody has their cards on the table. And we know this is what it's going to be. you know That way you don't get three sessions in. People are, are griping, you know? Yeah. I, I once had a guy maybe you heard this on the podcast but I once had a guy exaggeratedly pretend to be asleep at my table.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Because he didn't like my style, yeah. and I mean that was one of my worst moments as a GM. I was both like it was both intensely embarrassing and hard for me, and it also filled me with rage. <laughs> you oh, know? No,
0: no absolutely. Because at that point it's a it's a uh, a form of disrespect.
1: <laughs> it was pretty disrespectful. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, not gonna I mean, lie, man.
0: <laughs> at that point, it's a it's not a. Uh, I mean it's it's a thing, it's a personal thing at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it was personal towards you. And that's shit.
1: I know, right? Cold. I'm just trying to give you a good time on Saturday night.
0: Yeah. I mean if, if you don't like it, don't show up. I'm not forcing you to be here. Yeah. You know, it's it's not required. So I mean we're all here to have fun. If you're not having fun, that's your shit.
1: Ex- exactly. Real? Exactly. I mean, it's it's a cooperative medium. Everybody everybody has to put in in order to get out. And I have found that um, role playing is like an investment. That if you put in, you put out. You pull out dividends. You get interest on what you put in. And it's the people who are miserly and they don't want to put in at all. They expect just to withdraw. I don't want to game with those guys. I don't want to game with those people. You
0: know? Exactly. You know, and that's, that's more common with a bigger group, too. You know, if you've got five, six people, there's, a more, there's more chance for that to happen. It's true. You know, I, I have usually only run for two people at a time, you know, here. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Really? I mean, having, having the four on the podcast, uh, you know, for our actual play at the beginning, that was a little tough. You know, just because that was a little outside of my comfort zone. I could do it, but I mean, I wasn't used to it. So, you know, because because usually I have two buddies that want to play, and they're here, and you know, it's easier to communicate with with three individuals than than with seven. You know, including yourself, having six people at a table,
1: dude, it's true, it's true, it's really true. I kind of like to have uh, four to five Mm. because. I feel like if I have less than that, then I end up talking too much. I try to be aware of how much I hear my own voice while not while I'm podcasting, because then I like the sound of my own voice. But while I'm gaming, if I hear too much of my own voice, then it's time for me to shut up so that you guys can talk. Yeah. But um and I find it's easier with four to five people to keep other people besides myself talking.
0: Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, giving them an opportunity where you're just sitting and listening, even just Mm a conversation, general conversation, it doesn't matter what it is.
1: I love it. In character, in character conversation.
0: Absolutely. Or or like strategizing. You know, it's -hmm. it's
1: great. It's really great. Those are the rewarding moments. I love it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's I mean, I know there are a lot of people out there that don't like GMing. I'm like, I personally I'm fine with it. I love it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, dude. I have never understood that whole thing about, like, oh, man, I quote-unquote got a GM again. Oh, what a bummer. I really can't wait till I play. I'm like, when I play, I feel kind of squirrely, like being confined to one character and not being able to affect the environment by being able to describe the buildings and the fog and the trees and the expression on the waitress's face and all this shit. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the best part. I fucking love it. Can't get enough.
0: I mean, honestly, I've I I know the people that I game with are also creative in that sense. You know, one of them is and one of them's a writer. So I, you know, I openly give them the opportunity to. I I go, you see a building, you know, you're you're coming after this building. What does it look like? And I give. Oh, that's cool. You know, I that is cool since it's only just the three of us and we're just bullshitting around. You know, I dig
1: that. You know, I might I might use that, man. I might
0: use that. I mean, it's it's not a bad way to go if they say you do it fine i was gonna do it anyways you know it's like no different than gming
1: that is an excellent point dude that is an excellent
0: just bringing those those things to make people more included in the story you know Mm -hmm. that's that's my thing i don't know if you've Mm -hmm. you've gotten this but you know i'm the kind of person that enjoys that cooperative storytelling you know absolutely I enjoy having other people other than myself describe different either major story points or environment or whatever it is, you know, just to make them feel like they're not just running through my story. Right. Right. You know, I I lay that all out on the table. I'm like, okay, you can explain anything you want to in any, you know, amount of description you want to go for it.
1: I think that there's a certain level of kind of like, pardon me if i'm wrong here but but there's a certain level of arrogance that a person has to have in order to be a game master in order to start out down that path you have to be the kind of guy who says you're going to come to my house at this hour and you're going to play the kid the characters in this way and uh, you're going to listen to my fucking story that i invented in my fucking head you know what i'm saying um and so you have to be this kind of like iron person who will draw people's energy in and focus it at the front of the table and make them make them get on the same page. But what's been great in the last few years that I've been gaming is letting go of that a little bit and like letting other people like really have their opportunities to add to the story. And that seems to be the direction that things are going just in gaming as, as, as a whole, as a, as a community. And um, I really like what you contribute to that. I think that I might I think maybe the next Giovanni session that might shove a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt, honestly, because if they don't want to, there's no harm
1: in it. Oh, yeah, they can you just know? pass, right?
0: And And honestly, you know, with that narrative storytelling, with, you know, the way these games are going, you know, in the future, that's going to be a thing. You know, everything's going to say you can explain this. You know, even like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even like the fate core system. If you yeah. if you've read through the fate core book, that is really important because mm-hmm. you know, you get to explain, you know, a certain aspect of your character or a certain aspect of an NPC. You know, just there's you cuz you use the note cards. You mm-hmm. use the note cards and you can write down these different things about this scene or about this person you know and and that's i think that's important because you know a it'll encourage more people to be gms because that it gives them that you know exposure to the different responsibilities that a gm has with descriptive Uh words and and you know all all this stuff that's encompassed around the gm hat you know essentially <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it it gives them more exposure to that it it lets them feel what it's like to have the control over that that narrative storytelling you know and i think that's really important you know especially for you know for the gms but even more especially for the players because it makes them feel included
1: yeah yeah, and I mean, I couldn't tell you. I've played in a number of games where I just felt like I was on rails the whole time, like I was being railroaded. That, that What I did didn't really matter. Like on some level, the 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 GM was like this puppet master who was kind of like, you know, like, like you're in some kind of like Saw movie or something, and you're being like you're guided from room to room into horror to horror, you know, mm-hmm. just a victim. Um, that's so fun. That's not a, That's not a good way to invest the hours of your life on a Saturday afternoon, you know?
0: Right. And, and I, I think a lot of GMs are, you know, they have they don't have the mindset that they're doing this for people. They're not just writing a story. They're not just writing something that somebody's going to read. They're they're writing, you know, they need to be thinking they're writing essentially guidelines for this environment. That these people, these real people that can change something, you know, are going to interact with. You know, because at any moment your players can decide, I don't want to do that certain aspect, right? And you have to exactly do, you have to be okay with that.
1: Exactly, the game can't end because they didn't take the little like um, the debate. They can't they can't say, "Oh, I reject the uh, the little the little MacGuffin that you're playing in front of me." The game's over, you know. the no. Game has to continue.
0: Exactly. I mean, at that point, it's the GM's it's the GM's job to react to that and go the other direction if they want to. Exactly. You know, just because it's not on rails. It's not supposed to be on rails. I should mm-hmm. say a lot of times so, it is on rails, but
1: yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. And this is, this is going be my last point because I'm getting ready to wrap up here. I see we've been recording for a while. Yeah. Um, I feel like the video game as a narrative structure, has become so popular and so pervasive in our society that we're starting to see um, the what what writers call the like the beats mm-hmm. the beats of, of video game storytelling showing up in other places right. and that I find to be bothersome because because video game storytelling is is on these kind of rails mm-hmm. that does not, really speak to the full experience of life. Um, the thing I'd like to cite is the remake of the film Total Recall with Colin Farrell in it. Yeah. If you watch this movie, it's a lot like watching a video game with cut screens. Mm-hmm. He'll walk into a room and he'll have some dialogue and you'll learn something about the plot and then there will be this big fight scene that's like five minutes long where he's like jumping from platform to platform and shooting things and stuff. And when you're watching it, you feel like you're watching it. Somebody play a fucking video game. You know, I find that very disturbing. I find that very disturbing. And I think as, as GMs, it's part of our responsibility to not give into that. And instead to push against, against that style of storytelling, get back to something that's a bit more organic, you know, something that's a bit more, like life you know
0: yeah honestly if you take take the uh the storyboards from most movies most fantasy movies it's the same way it's true it's true uh, yeah it's it's definitely um you know the the way people are approaching these stories and how to write these stories i wouldn't say is incorrect but you know my whole thing and you know i'll say this until the day i die everything has to be flexible you know there mm-hmm. has to be room for anything other than your story to happen yes yes because because there are real life characters interacting with this world and with this story and so it's never going to be word for word what you want it to be even if you want it to be you know
1: exactly <laughs> absolutely, man. absolutely. The new year hit me real hard, man. It was a bummer. It was a bummer, Bill, dude. Like, I don't know if you're political. I don't want to make your podcast political. But the the Trump situation bummed me out. And yeah. Then there was a lot of stuff going on at my job. Um, we had to do some downsizing. And it was just like uh, it was kind of a bummer just trying to get out of bed in the morning and trying to figure out what the world was about. So we uh, definitely kind of got sparse there for a minute. and um. Now we're trying to get back on schedule and and we lost listeners for sure. I think we lost maybe about 100 listeners and that sucks cuz we had just spent yeah. you know the year before that building those those listeners up. So now we just got to c- climb back, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, I I completely understand that. Completely. Yeah, uh, gaming wise for me the new year kind of fucked me up. Oh so just cuz well I I'd gotten together Little origin story about the podcast. Mm, um, yeah, this. Yeah, um, about oh, about late October, early November. Um, I was on roll twenty, getting well. I I just bought uh seven C mm-hmm. from uh, from the website uh from what John presents.
1: Through. Oh, you got a hard copy.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't got a hard copy. I'm a, I'm, a, Great. I'm a sucker for those. But, Me too, uh, man. Yeah. And uh so I got it. I was like, I pitched it to my buddies here at home and they're like, Yeah, it's great. And then we never got together for a game. You know how that <laughs> shit happens. Oh yeah. And so so, you know, I I pitch it to them. They're not so interested. And I'm like, okay, I still really want to play this, you know. And so I go on to roll twenty. Actually I go into Reddit and I go to mm-hmm. the 7 C subreddit page. And I go, Hey, I'm looking for a group that wants to play, you know, this day, this time, every other week, you know, whatever. And so I I get together with these what four other people, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of those people being Mark, my uh, my one of my co-hosts, you know. And and everybody else was uh, was foreign, and so it's like there was a little language barrier kind of thing, and and heavy accents and stuff. And dude,
1: that time zone had to be like brutal trying to work out when you're gonna play.
0: Seriously, luckily, you know, it was morning for for me and Mark. And then mm-hmm. it was uh it was evening. So it was like before everything happened for us and then after everything happened for them. So it was mm. just kind of like, you know, just the just the right spot. Cause I think it was like eleven, eleven thirty here. And uh that being an hour later for Mark, because uh, he's down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, over there it was like six o'clock in the evening. <laughs> so it was like okay <laughs> you know but uh but yeah it it worked out but but then you know the new year hit and then it kind of fizzled out oh it, really um yeah because you know um the i i had pitched the podcast idea to mark before i pitched it to anybody else mm-hmm. um because you know I'd, I'd always wanted to do a podcast like this you know talking about you know board games and tabletop games and bullshit and, and uh I wanted to get an actual play in there too, you know. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to have that, you know, second option for people to not just hear a conversation. You know, people love actual plays. <clears throat> Seriously, but um, but yeah. So so we got the podcast started, and then we we only ended up doing uh, one full session of our, actually, uh, two full sessions of of uh, that that group, that original group. So. Um, you know, if you if you look on on our thread, we've mm-hmm. got uh what two two episodes of of the actually like we've got four episodes of that seven C actual play mm-hmm. because we did you know we did the main one and then people just kept you know not being able to get together yeah and so you know Mark and uh, one other player one other member. Uh, could get together and so we did a small kind of like before everything happened kind of like a a prologue story kind of uh-huh. thing and uh and got that out there but we're uh we're getting some of those actual plays back together because we have a, a smaller uh set group uh we mm-hmm. recently just picked up one of mark's good friends steve and he is also one of my co-hosts so so we've got a good kind of like round robin gaming going on Mm-hmm. so so i'm i'm gonna well i did um gm one game and then this next week actually tomorrow hell because <laughs> we were doing <laughs> Sundays. but uh mark will be doing this round and then we'll do probably two more episodes of that and then so on and so forth so we're just gonna switch gms and you know get a, get everybody in there playing cool so it's really cool nice, man really coming along good but yeah definitely let's see Okay. i was double checking everything's recording so we're good
1: <laughs> yeah yeah just checking those levels
0: yeah definitely
1: right on man
0: nice 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 oh.
1: well i really appreciate you having me on your show dude
0: hey it's great to have you i've been listening for a while and uh, have you how long um let's see a good six months or so maybe a little bit
1: good more. Ah, so so that that month that i took off sorry <laughs> sorry nah. sorry about that man
0: no not a I'm problem not, uh, not a problem at all
1: <laughs> you know we we don't do like a patreon or anything we haven't done a kickstarter we don't have any sponsorship so um we make we it, it's just it just comes out of my bank account every month the, the soundcloud and website okay. and all this other stuff so um right so when you hit those months where you're just like, I can't do this, then right. you know you don't.
0: Yeah, exactly. I completely understand that. Yeah, because in order to to do the SoundCloud, you have to pay like what fifteen, sixteen 15. bucks a month. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, that gets going. And then uh, uh, we did our our website through WordPress, so it's free. You know, so we we just. No, uh,
1: oh, you're right. You're right. You, you know what? You're totally right. We have, a, I think, we have a WordPress. Adam does it, but oh, um, yeah, he d- he does that. And then, uh, but we had to pay for the domain. You know, I uh, guess that was. True.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we just use the WordPress domain. We don't really care right now. You know, we don't we don't have enough uh, listeners to to really worry about that right now.
1: So, no, no, yeah. I hear you. So it's it's a work in there. progress, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely baby steps
1: <laughs> exactly yeah.
0: but uh we we just did the website maybe a month ago so so that's that's brand new and then uh we we did release a patreon nobody's on it yet but um we have one over there on patreon for yeah friends family anybody that wants to you know
1: does your family actually listen to the podcast
0: no unfortunately i'm too, <laughs> I'm too nerdy for for them
1: but mine neither <laughs> Mine neither. I'm like, mom, you ever listen to my podcast? She's like, no, no. no. I'm like, thanks, thanks, mom, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My fiance doesn't even listen. You know, it's yeah, it's just, no.
1: No, I hear. The feedback I get is that it's like listening to a podcast is in a different language. You know, exactly. nobody wants. You know, I I, 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 understand. I guess, like, I don't listen to sports radio. You know, oh, exactly. so I, it, it wouldn't really mean anything to me if I did. So I can understand. I understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of getting her in on the board game side of things. because mm-hmm. uh, Cuz we're playing those kind of family friendly kind of like Sushi Go and you know just kind of party, okay. party games. But yeah, uh none of the heavy shit yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no Arkham Horror yet, no Twilight no, no. Imperium.
0: No, not, <laughs> nothing like that yet. Not yet. Maybe Catan every once in a while, but <laughs>
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a that's a fave.
0: Oh, but yeah. Yeah, I, I just got the uh, the Dark Souls board game cuz uh I packed that on Kickstarter
1: you were talking about that oh yeah do, the, do so the miniatures come unpainted
0: yes they come unpainted so eventually i'll have to paint them or pay somebody to paint them
1: are they good <laughs> are they good miniatures
0: they're damn good you want me to grab one i can i can grab a couple
1: i can look them up online later i mean i i'm not familiar with the video game ip i know everybody talks about it but um but uh i mean it's fascinating the kind of penetration that that series of ideas has made into the into the, the gaming consciousness people really respond to dark souls which i think is great
0: yeah especially since it's such a uh, such a respected franchise because they've gone they've done so many things because they've they've done uh, dark souls one two and three mm-hmm. and they did um demon souls back in the day and they did um with oh, someone for for playstation um I don't remember off the top of my head, but they did one that's essentially Dark Souls, but in a different kind of more Victorian era kind of
1: setting oh, okay. for, the, cool. uh,
0: for the PlayStation. Cool. And, um, but yeah, they've, they've done a lot, and there are a lot of people, including myself, that enjoy um, enjoy pretty much everything they've done.
1: And are, are you a Warhammer guy? There was some talk that made me think that you might be a Warhammer guy.
0: You know, I, um, I haven't gotten into Warhammer yet i say yet because it's a possibility it definitely is um i've read through uh rogue trader that's pretty much okay only only thing right now uh yeah yeah definitely but um (laughs) yeah because my my buddy was like hey uh you want to borrow this this rogue trader book for a while i haven't read it you know like he said he said i got it from a guy that did the same thing to me he said <laughs> i've had this for about two years and haven't opened it do you want it <laughs> you know so it's, it's getting passed down the line and i actually read it
1: well that's a great so, deal on that book and that's that's one of the better lines for that for that yeah. role-playing game yeah I do. I do i have i have a bunch of the role-playing game shit and i also do the miniatures and that that's a whole own kind of like you know addiction right there yeah um exactly. so, compulsive behavior
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i understand that i just haven't gotten in there yet because uh hey i need to find a, a group before i do that mm-hmm. and then uh you know just just uh investment <laughs> essentially
1: <laughs> you know the guy who comes on my show sometimes the mysterious jeff he uh-huh. did a lot of gaming in tulsa did so it? it seems like yeah he went to law school out there oh nice um the Utes, is that a thing? Utes? Shit. I don't, I don't know. Golden gold, the 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 Hurricanes?
0: Oh yeah. The T U uh Golden Hurricanes, yeah.
1: Golden Hurricanes. Yeah. He went to that school. Okay. And there was a there was a comic book store around there somewhere that he was running Eberon. That shows how long ago oh, it was. But yeah. he was running Eberron down there. Um so there's gaming in Tulsa. Oh yeah. Um, there, it, there definitely it, is maybe it's maybe it's derps only or something i i completely understand how you don't want to play with derps you know that's yeah, like yeah. The, that's the that's the worst right you know, we, exactly as as like we have to be constantly building the community that we want you know uh-huh. and um it's it, it's difficult because there's this kind of idea about like who gamers are and like what we're about and and uh we're at this great moment in gaming where Dungeons and Dragons is making this penetration into the popular consciousness again exactly. and we're bringing we're bringing in people who ordinarily wouldn't have gotten into this stuff and it's kind of interesting because like there's this whole generation of people who who don't view it with the social stigma that like people from my generation like had had to kind of come up with, you know, or it was like you kept your shit like hidden away. <laughs> Especially if you're that kind of person who moves between worlds, you know. Like you you you, you say you have the background in music, right? And uh. I I, was, I had a similar kind of backstory where it's like I, I was I was in a music scene, mm-hmm. but I was also in the gaming scene, and it was just really important for me to have a firewall between those things because um, your you didn't want your your music friends to know that you did this shit. Because they would be like, "Oh God, what's your problem?" Yeah. And then on some level, you didn't want your gaming friends to know too much about your music life yeah. because then they they would stop trusting you in a certain way. There's this <laughs> almost like this idea like you're too you're too cool, man. Like stop stop coming around, stop hanging out. Yeah. You know. Um. So now there's a lot more crossover, and we you know people. There, there's there's this movement in our society about being an authentic person. And so people uh, are much more likely to say, oh yeah, I read Harry Potter books and I played Dungeons and Dragons. What yeah. of it? You know, and that's, exactly. that, that's, that's great. But that affords us this opportunity to go out into the world and to find people who are quote unquote cool, yeah. bring them into our games and we don't have to get into that whole like dealing with the pocket protector guy and yeah. like have having arguments with him about like the physics of a fireball you know what i'm saying i mean this is, <laughs> this is shit that's happened you know like like ah uh, yeah uh, I, I used to game with this guy right who had this thing where he um he was oh geez what's the, oh there's there's a spell called rope trick in the ph right Uh and and it creates an extra dimensional space where you're safe from everything you go up a rope and you get inside of it right and his whole deal was like oh i'm gonna get up inside the the rope trick or whatever the fuck it was called Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna I'm going to get into my extra-dimensional space, and then I'm going to shoot, like, magic missiles out of my finger. I'm, like, holding out of the hole in the bottom. So <laughs> I'm the untouchable. And it's just like you had to get into these conversations with him about, like, whether or not he could do that. I mean, it's just a complete waste of time. Complete waste of time. Complete waste of gaming energy. It's not the game I want to be running. It's not how I want to spend my days, thinking about the physics of whether or not you can be in your impenetrable... Uh, extra dimensional hole, <laughs> shooting lightning bolts out of your finger. Uh, forget it. Right. You exactly. Know? Forget exactly.
0: It. Yeah. I don't know if uh, if you listened to any of the the uh, episodes where I complained about my uh, my situation at the local gaming store here, but uh,
1: I have not heard this. Um, no, so,
0: <laughs> so here's here's the story uh, about uh, maybe about two months ago at this uh-huh. point maybe a month and a half i went there's there's literally a gaming store like half a mile from my house you know i could literally walk there if i wanted to but but uh so i go it was it was on a saturday and saturdays they get together like D and pathfinder and a couple other things um you know just because it's that's the day that everybody's collectively agreed to to go and do it but um sure. so i jump into this group i i pick up a uh a half orc um barbarian you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to deal with magic. I'm jumping into the middle of something. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. So uh, I picked up something pretty easy.
1: This is this is a pre-made character.
0: Yeah, yeah, like somebody, something somebody made. This this guy is. I mean, he's like 60, 65, and he's. You can tell he's been doing this for a long time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. You, you know where I'm going. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so so it was D and D three point five. Uh, which, sure which i hadn't played before but i grew up playing pathfinder and so it's like mm-hmm. okay this is exactly the same yeah
1: oh yeah yeah very yeah. similar intensely like, similar
0: like seriously i could take a pathfinder you know character sheet and play a D game it's not it's like it's the exact uh, same
1: system absolutely
0: but um but yeah so we we get in and uh you know me being a storytelling heavy game gamer you know you know playing playing 7c and i even adapt d fifth edition to be more storytelling more story oriented instead of mm-hmm, heavy mm-hmm. combat but um you know so i get in i'm like okay this guy gives you like a half a sentence about what you're doing and you're like okay <laughs> let's get in so um yeah so we we get in we start playing uh into the first door we uh we fight four like woolly mammoths i don't remember what the the name for the the creature is but they're essentially so This is
1: like this is inside a dungeon you're inside a dungeon yeah you're. Inside and there's woolly mammoths in
0: there yeah you're like thousands of feet below ground and you're just like a dungeon and it's like yeah just like four giant ass woolly mammoths first you're like okay, okay sure i'll i'll allow it <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so uh we get to play and we get into combat okay granted oh i didn't even tell you the best part so there are six people at the table you know mm-hmm. and then and then the gm there's me who isn't who's new to this group not new to play but then there's a girl sitting next to me maybe about 18 20 i don't know she's uh brand new like she just sat down and just started learning this is a critical
1: moment for her this is you know right yes,
0: exactly Horrible situation to put this brand new player in. I'm just going to say that off off the top of, but um, so there are six people, but two of those people are playing two characters each. So we've wow, got a, we've got a party of eight. And All I'm right, like, I'm like okay, because like five six is my my comfort level when GMing.
1: Hundred percent agreement. Hundred percent agreement.
0: Yeah. So uh, first off, that's going to make for long combat, right? Second off, brand new character, doesn't know what they're doing. It's going to take a little bit longer, okay? Mm-hmm, add, mm-hmm. That, add that to the equation. She's also playing a bard. Mm. They stuck her with a bard. <laughs> I mean, like, stick her with a fighter or barbarian or something.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Something, but... Um,
1: they're, they're not, like, curating her experience at all. They're, like, just kind of being like, oh, you're a girl... Here's this kind of thing that we we associate with girlishness. Here, just deal with it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so uh, so we get in and uh, fight these four woolly mammoths. Eight of us. The combat takes about two and a half hours for four rounds of combat.
1: Oh crap! Oh, that's oh, that sounds miserable.
0: You can imagine I died that day. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> I was dying, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't having a good time. Which means no. I know this new person wasn't having a good time.
1: I don't know. Did you talk to her about it?
0: Yeah, I did actually.
1: What <laughs> did she have to went, say?
0: You know, after she was she she was a little disappointed, mm. just because you know, a we started off on like six level characters, which is
1: oh yeah, god.
0: So. You know, it was it was a little complex for, you know, the you know, the level she was going in at wasn't right. You know, let's be honest.
1: Dude, I don't know. I mean, I've been playing a long time. and somebody's handed me a sixth level, fifth edition character, I don't know what the fuck I'd do with it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly.
0: But uh, you know, I, I go up to her and I'm like, Okay, you know, I could I could tell you're kind of out of your comfort zone. You know, and she mm-hmm. she said, Yeah, definitely. And um and I said, So so this isn't how every role-playing game goes you know Mm -hmm. this isn't this isn't the only thing you know and then i explained something like seventh sea to her you know something that's more more important on what happens in the story instead of having two and a half hour long combats that that takes uh 38 seconds (laughs) 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 or whatever math that is i'm 24
1: does it even matter? I mean, seriously. No. If it, you know, let's say it was two minutes. Even if it was a two-minute combat, and you're taking, you spent your entire Saturday afternoon there playing, fighting some wooly mammoths. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's just, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a poor exchange. You know, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's certain guys who are into that. I guess that's their thing. You know, they yeah. want to, they want to play this kind of advanced board game. That's cool. No hate. But, I mean, that's not what you're into, that's not what I'm into, right? Exactly.
0: See, it's it's not like they were playing 4th edition. So, if you know, if oh, you know yeah. me, oh. yeah, you're on the same. Yeah, I,
1: I know. I heard your discussion in episode 1 of 4th edition, and you and I are on exactly the same page with 4th. It's, it's uh yeah, I mean, it, the less that we say about it at this point, the better. Um, I'm not super sold on 5th. I think it's great for getting people into gaming, and I'm really happy that it's out there, and it's providing this opportunity for for people to discover the hobby and that's great um but i'm a i'm a story gamer and i'm an independent i'm just really into independent games and so um like the fifth fifth to me still feels kind of like it's a it's a steamroller for the players they've yeah. got the they, they come in kind of godlike and they I, I don't really feel like it's very challenging i feel like it's kind of and then, and then there's like a little bit too much kind of instant gratification where you're you're leveling up super super fast and right that's not that's not what I get out of role playing. that's not the kind of stories I want to tell. I also was trying to run when I kind of started role playing at game I took a break for a few years when I was living in los Angeles and um I came back to it and I tried to like lay a sort of like white wolf uh storytelling style down on top of a fifth edition game. It didn't work out very well. Um, didn't really care for it, so um, I haven't done anything with fifth since then. I'm just i mean i I just have them sitting in a pile over there, and that's yeah. you know that's fine. It's always there. It's always there for me if I want to pick it back up, but exactly um, I don't feel compelled to do anything with it,
0: yeah, I mean, it's still too crunchy, you know, honestly, it's still too too dependent on the
1: rules yeah, I mean it there's just this moment in the game where look, I don't want to sound like John Wick. I won't be stepping on John Wick's toes here and stealing his whole thing. But his whole thing is is what's on the character sheet. You know, what am I playing? What am I playing here? And so you can start a game and have this adventure going and have everybody be in their characters and it's kind of Game of Thrones. And there's intrigue going on and there's backstabbing and there's a lot of in-character dialogue. Yeah. And then there comes this moment where so you say, roll initiative, and everybody just shuts off. That's off. And they they stop thinking about all this theater of the mind that you've been building for hours and they look down at their sheet and they start crunching numbers and they and you get out the grid map and you start putting down tokens and measuring steps and all this shit. I don't really care for it. I don't care for that.
0: Yeah. I you know? I can I can tell you are as, as you know, along with me, you're the kind of of person that enjoys a game where if it's logical, you can do it. You know, if it's if it's something that's you know within the capabilities of a normal person, or even somebody who's had the training that you know this specific character has had, let him do it. You know, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know yeah, oh yeah, John. Yeah, Wicks, man.
0: John Wick's whole thing with seventh C is you know with with like you know where in D and D would roll a perception check mm-hmm. for anything. Whether right it's, whether it's important or not you know you he says if, it, if it's something you need to know you'll see it you know and mm-hmm, if it's something mm-hmm. you're not supposed to see you won't that's that's it it's it's as simple as that
1: i mean uh, this is where he and i kind of you know diverge is that i do like a little bit of a chaos element that i can throw into my games to me there's a psychological effect of telling the player to roll the dice and at that point they understand that there's stakes and they understand that there is like this breaking point of winning versus losing Mm -hmm. and um and this element of chance and by rolling the dice you introduce some psychological tension to the table and um I've found in my gaming that that's very critical. You can you can really make a uh, an entire table where people might be kind of drifting off in terms of their attention. You get to that one moment, there's like are like a low energy moment, and then you just say to somebody, make a check, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, what? What? They all they all turn and they look. All of a sudden their attention is at the back, is at the center of the table again. And so I like the die rule for that. But I never want to be a slave to it. I never want to be like, "Oh well, you failed your die roll. I guess the story's fucking over you know i guess right. I guess you didn't notice, and it's over. This is one of the reasons I like o s r games mm-hmm. people people will people get on my case as a story gamer for liking o s r games because they' I think that there's this false dichotomy in their minds that, that o s r games which i don't know if your listeners are super familiar with OSR. are they I don't know do you guys talk about it
0: briefly, I think we have. But, okay, but yeah, OSR so, old school role playing games.
1: Old school role playing, old school renaissance. Yeah. Um, and, and these games get a get a uh, reputation for being intensely mechanical and very like like technical. But what I like about them is their sparity. You can look at an OSR character sheet from a particular era, like a first edition Dungeons and Dragons or a first edition Dungeons and Dragons emulator. Mm-hmm. There's almost nothing on it. There's, there, there's, just, there's just a few stats, and uh, you can use that sort of sparity of stats to create these very spontaneous roles that just encompass very general things, depending on what you need. Um, and, then, and then anything that doesn't fall under, uh, like a skill or a test, you can just arbitrate via what you were saying, which is logic. Like, mm-hmm. like, or, 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 not even necessarily logic, but story. On some level, you can be, you can be inventing the story of your character as you are playing. The um, classic example I like to use when I'm using deploying rhetoric in defense of the OSR is um, the swimming test. Right, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you how many times I've had to make a. I mean, this has really happened in game. I've Had to make all these swimming tests, right? Um, and if, if, if. Why do you have to spend skill points on that? If your character knows how to swim, your character knows how to swim. your character doesn't know how to swim, doesn't know how to swim. That's fine. It allows you to say something about your character in that moment. Like, oh, no, I grew up near a river and I learned how to swim with my, my chums. Grew up by the sea and you, no one grows up by the sea without learning how to swim or no, I lived in the fucking desert. I don't know how to swim. You know, that's all fine. Those are all fine. They all say something about the characters through the action of doing, but there was this weird era in the early two thousands when, um, when 3.5, 3.0, 3.5 came out, and gaming became so technical, one of the things I like to talk about with my friends is is, is this strange dichotomy that I feel like the 3.5 gaming system, the D20 uh, open license, the OGL, mm-hmm. um, both saved role playing and almost doomed it for like for ten years. Um, White Wolf was kind of like wrapping their thing up and then they, they wrapped up Masquerade and kinda of put a bow on it and then the and then their Requiem game never really took off and right. in that time oh everybody was like fleeing for the for the MMO RPG hills. Like I remember the summer that uh World of Warcraft hit and the game stores emptied out. Yeah. and and uh, game store owners were standing around with these looks on their faces. Like, they didn't know what the fuck had happened. It's like, it, you know, there was this moment when it looked like we're the last generation. You know, this is going to become, like, ships in bottles or model trains. In in 10 years, it's going to be a bunch of salty old guys doing this with big Coke bottle glasses. No one's going to know about role-playing anymore. It's not going to be little kids doing it. And through that time, the OGL kept gaming afloat because everything became ogl ogl cthulhu ogl elric ogl fucking everything but it was this super technical game about about you got to get your feats and you got to get your points and your swimming test and then your use rope and then because of the way that that system was written there were these finicky little things, like you were pointing out earlier, that were like disbalanced in terms of how important they were. Mm-hmm. The perception check was incredibly important. Max out perception all the time. Because of the mechanic of tumbling out of a threatened area for a tax opportunity, um, tumble became unbelievably powerful in the hands of a dexterous character because ah, I don't take a tax opportunity, I just walk through them, you know? and and why would why would Call of Cthulhu be d twenty? That's a terrible idea. You know you do you, you don't need to like water everything down into the same exact system. Like a little like a little bit of difference is good. you know? It's a little, it, 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 every game shouldn't feel like the same game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so 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 I, I, I lived through that. I'm super burnt on these games that make me track feats, that make me track skills that make me roll for, you know, writing on paper, you know? I mean, give, give me a break, man. Give me a break. I just want to play the game. Anyway, sorry sorry for that rant.
0: No, no, rant rant on. But, yeah, even even 7C went through a, a phase like that. They they went to a D20 system. At uh, uh, absolutely failed. I'll tell you that now. It absolutely uh, sure, failed.
1: Sure. The kind of guy who plays 7C doesn't want to deal with that crap. Not at all. You know. You know? Same,
0: same with Cthulhu. You've got a point. You know, Cthulhu is horrible in a D20 system.
1: Yeah, it's 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 the the, the mechanic for D20 works great for uh, a, a hero heroic fantasy. Works yeah. great for heroic fantasy, which has a a kind of like built in narrative that um, and people can argue this, this is an opinion, but has a built in narrative. In my opinion, of like, we're these plucky adventurer guys. We're generally good, generally. Yeah. And this is the story of us... Exactly. This is the story of us getting progressively more powerful and um, setting the wrong things right in the area around us. Right. And you don't have to play that game that way, but if you choose to play it in another way, you're swimming against the current, and you got to put in more work, you know? So any game that has that narrative of... Plucky, the band of adventurers, getting more powerful, putting things around them in order is going to thrive under that system. Anything that doesn't is going to suffer, suffer, you know, and is not about that. No,
0: no. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I've I've taken uh, fifth edition D&D and I've I've made it more story heavy. But, you know, when taking out a few things, I've had to put in different things.
1: You know, mm-hmm, it's just,
0: mm-hmm. it's just taking the things that you're missing and replacing it with something that's sustainable. Sure. But, sure. But yeah, cause, um, that's how I had originally taken, uh, fifth edition. I was like, okay. Cause I started off, don't hate me. I started off playing fourth edition.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not gonna hate you, man. It's how you it brought you into the game, right? Exactly. Welcome. Welcome brother.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I immediately hated it. <laughs> I was like, okay, because a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, let's get let's get a D and D game together." I'm like, awesome. Actually, no, I lied. I started out playing Pathfinder.
1: I that, started, that's a much more solid choice. If you've got to play one of the two, Pathfinder, obviously.
0: Yeah, I played Pathfinder for a year ish. You know, off mm-hmm. and on, um, and then, you know, I got out of it for a little bit, and then then my buddy was like, "Hey, you play D and D?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, I play D and D. I played Pathfinder, but." yeah essentially mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I was like okay well come on let's, let's play so we, mm-hmm. we we played about two, oh. three four sessions of fourth edition
1: uh-huh
0: and uh and it was like okay it's going all right and then you know everything was going fine everything was going great and then mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of hit a wall when uh <laughs> when we spent two entire sessions fighting a white young a young white dragon mhm and that's, that's the GM's fault. I know. That's like, okay, level level two characters?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. Against
0: a young white dragon.
1: The, okay. The, here's the thing about D&D 4, though, is he may have kind of like jumped the gun a little bit with that happening, but you would have gotten to that spot anyway. Because... That's exactly where I got with 4th, where I started out playing it. I was kind of incredulous. I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, but it was a cool group. I was playing with a cool group at the time, and uh, we were having a lot of fun. And first and second levels were were great. I, was having, uh, I didn't love the mechanic, but it was bringing in new people, and we were having a good time, so I couldn't really complain. Um, but then you hit this point on this curve of character growth, where the mechanic of the game necessitates that if you're gonna keep developing, mm-hmm. then you have to keep doing this thing, which is essentially a video game combat constantly. Right. And uh, then because you're not actually in the video game, and the video game is making like thousands of little calculations a second, so it's very, very fast, but you're very slow and you've gotta sit there and you've gotta plot out all your movement and all this crap. Yeah. You Should I use my daily? Should I use my encounter? All this crap. Yeah. It just it just grinds to a halt, and it, I think I think ours started really grinding at about fifth, and then it just kept getting slower and slower after that, to the point where we just threw our hands up in despair, and we were like, "Look, we want to do other stuff besides, you know, plot out what square we're standing on in a dungeon somewhere, you know." Yeah. And we let it go. Let it go.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and uh, the GM, a uh, good buddy of mine, he's uh, he was really focused on the story. And now that I look back now, I'm like, you are on the wrong system completely. Mm-hmm. Because he, he prefaced everything with this huge monologue and this huge description of everything. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fourth edition is not good for this because it's sure. really clunky and really rules heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just you know, taking something completely different with a more narrative twist to it where uh, levels don't really matter mm-hmm. is, is where he wants to go because
1: honestly, dungeon world man dungeon world
0: seriously because right now he's making an animated series of that story of of oh cool of the backstory of the land and and some of the characters and everything and he's taking it and and making a mini series cool so yeah it's uh is that
1: gonna be on youtube or something
0: i'll figure it out i really will um i will definitely let you know yeah indeed it's it's really cool because it's like a, a magic heavy kind of like um I don't have a good comparison but it's but they're they're really strong magicians and they're up against other magic forces and, and a bunch of other stuff but um
1: see it sounds like your friend wanted to tell a story and telling a story is the last thing you want to do in fourth edition exactly. fourth, you know you really are not doing much of that at all
0: <laughs> definitely
1: um now i was listening to your podcast and you say i have heard you say that you're not a module guy you're like don't right. like modules that's you right
0: yeah that's 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 this guy so (laughs) so i'm gonna explain that a little bit to you okay go ahead so the thing with most modules i'm not saying about all but the ones i've encountered they're extremely linear Mm -hmm. and that doesn't roll with me (laughs) Mm -hmm. i agree you know the idea behind rpgs and especially storytelling rpgs is if the characters want to do something you'll figure out a way to go off the path and go do whatever they want to do yeah you know because a lot of times the people who are running these modules don't plan for that or or the hell they don't even plan for the module so they just find out <laughs> as they read
1: oh uh, yeah i think we've all been there the guy who's like reading the module as he you know, like, you're like hang on a second he's like reading the description of the of the room uh, yep exactly yeah.
0: and uh you know so so that's not that doesn't prepare for any other stuff that wants to come in and interject it's It's really you know, opposed to change. Mm-hmm. They really are, and a lot of them are, you know, in my opinion, they are better suited for teaching people how to play the game because these people naturally. I'm not saying in all cases, but naturally they won't have the ideas to stray if they're learning a system.
1: You know, I think you make a good case there, and I mean, I definitely would recommend to a starting GM uh, running a module. I I mean, I've I I really feel like when I get a new game, I always like to take a look at a module because because really, when you see the module, you kind of get a the definite idea of where it is the designers are going with it, what they think you should be doing. Um, that's why I like games that have like a little prepackaged thing in right. the back. Um, but I want, I, just since, since I'm, here and I've got you, um, on your show and I can like hijack your audience for like five seconds yeah, here. I on. just want to make, I want to make the case for modules.
0: Okay.
1: I, I'm a huge module guy. I love modules. um, i've I've run so many of them, and so many of them have just been such deep and rich role playing experiences for me. Um, now, I agree. if you are trying to run an a to b to C plot line out of a module, I feel like you have missed the forest for the trees. Right. what what i what I love about modules is the way that um, maybe this is just the way I think, but I like riffing on someone else's idea. I guess that's why I'm a role player. You know, I like somebody comes along, they write Vampire the Masquerade. It's got a bunch of cool shit in it, and then I can take that, and I can roll with it, I can do something, I can tell a story with it. And to me, a module is just like the next is 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 a more speer, a more specific kind of iteration of that same idea. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I'll do is I buy modules. And then I just read the whole thing all the way through. That's you, you go, yo, module guys. That's the first step: is you read it all the way through. Yep. Then you read through it again with a notepad next to you, and you take all your notes. And then you just rip it apart. You just rip the fucking thing apart, and you essentially build like one of those crazy conspiracy theory guy maps on your wall with it, <laughs> with like yarn in between the different points. And you take that module and you build a sandbox out of it. You know, you don't have to run this. You don't have to put your fucking players on rails like they're Thomas the Tank Engine. The adventure itself will provide a big enough context for the party. You got you let them let them wander around in it. Let them wander around. I, I I had this one player once. He pissed me off so bad. You're playing Eberron and. Um, they went into this magic shop, and they started uh, trying to steal a bunch of shit. And then the uh, I had built I had built this magic shop so that there was a, uh, a a golem that like was inside this the magic shop, mm-hmm. brought back from some like you know ancient place or whatever. And he was like security. He was like the security robot. And the like uh, the owner of the magic shop deployed the golem to. Um, Prevent them from stealing the magical goods, and it killed the player character. It killed the player character right there, one hit. And this, and 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 a different player, not even the guy who got killed, because the guy who got killed was like, "I I deserve that." <laughs> a different player was like, angry at me. He said, "I should not encounter something I can't defeat." And to me, that's that's preposterous. That's absolutely insane. Right. You know the 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 world that you're in. Is a is is, is 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 a living environment. You know, if I went toe to toe as a person with a with a oncoming fire truck at sixty miles an hour, I would lose. You know, and that's not because I don't have enough level, you know. <laughs> you you have to look around and you have to examine your environment. You have to think about what is going on in your environment. You have to you have to treat the setting that you're in like it's an ecology. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if somebody is going to own a magic item store, this is Eberron where there were things like magic item stores. I'm, not, I'm usually not in favor of this kind of thing, but it's Eberron, right? Yeah, exactly. Then he probably is going to have some mechanism for keeping the magic items inside the store if you didn't choose to pay for them, you know? Um. So So, I don't believe in a strictly level-controlled environment. I believe in going out and buying a a Pathfinder adventure path, and waiting until all six I- six issues are out, and then going home and reading them all at once, mm-hmm. and finding the connections. Another thing I like to do is foreshadowing. You know, there sometimes in these D and D modules and the Pathfinder modules, they'll um introduce new characters in books four, five, and six that weren't in books one, two, and three, specifically for the reason that they're worried that like first level guy is going to run up and attack him. Um, but I like to take those characters from books four, five, and six and sprinkle them in, in books one, two, and three, because, you know, what would star Wars have been like if Darth Vader didn't show up until return of the Jedi, exactly. you know, you exactly. fucking, fucking weird, yeah. right? You know, you need to, you need to have a relationship with that character in order for it to mean something in the end. Mm-hmm. When you, when you bring that character to an end. Or you you resolve your conflict with that character, and another way that you can kind of arbitrate some of these like kind of conflicts inside of those those sandboxy spaces is through no. prepare yourselves here, social role playing. you don't don't have to kill every single thing that you encounter you don't don't have to go full murder hobo here like imagine you walk you're walking through a town and you don't just see everybody as like a little jackpot full of xp to squish and to you know sort of vampirically absorb their essence here you know like maybe you interact with them
0: yeah exactly.
1: you know the the to me, one of my favorite things that I like to sort of drag and drop into every D&D game that I run is the Beholder Crime Boss. And I always put the Beholder Crime Lord. You know, I'm a child of the '80s and yeah. all like uh, Underdark, uh, uh, what's Skullport stuff. It really yeah. made a big impression on me. And so I put the Beholder Crime Boss in everything. And this is a Beholder that has levels, you know. So he's literally able to just disintegrate characters like that. Yeah. So you shouldn't try and fight him like right away you know
0: you could you could you could, you
1: could. You you could. could. i'm not gonna stop you i'm not one you'd, of those gm is it's gonna stop you from doing yeah,
0: it you'd be you'd be rolling new characters next session
1: and hey maybe you know you i mean <laughs> exactly exactly anyway and and rant that's just my case for the uh for the for the module One of, one of the best games i feel i ever ran in my entire life was uh Pathfinder Council of Thieves books one through six yeah such a great such a great adventure beautiful adventure beautiful game amazing story and development for your characters there's a little bit of buy-in they kind of have to do at level one where it's kind of like there's they get given this mission by a guy it's essentially like go in the sewer and collect some rat pelts It's it's the equivalent of that yeah and if you can get over that hump of that initial first kind of like first session arm twisting buy-in, <laughs> then you're off to the races. So, do you mind if I do a quick plug for the show for my show? Yeah, plug it up. Cool, cool. So, um, if if you've listened to anything I have to say today, you want to check out my show. It's called Full Metal RPG. Uh, you can find it on uh, SoundCloud. You can find it on iTunes. Um, please subscribe. Uh, check out. FullmetalRPG.com. And then uh, we're also on Instagram um, at FullmetalRPG. And that's really the best way to interact with me, to re- interact with us. I try to keep up with that very regularly. Uh, and thank you, Zach, for having me on. This has been a wonderful afternoon of, of just back and forth. I love it. I love it. This is just, I mean, this, this has been one of those great GM conversations that you look forward to. You know, where you just sit down at the game store and you meet with a like mind and you're able to to just speak your heart. This has been great. This has been absolutely fantastic. So um, if uh, I'm going to work on getting my rig sorted out and maybe we'll have you on the show. We can do some we can do some cross promotion. That'd be great.
0: Absolutely. I'd I'd love to join you. Uh, We can get that rig situated.
1: uh, (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. Hit me up, man. Let's try and get this thing fucking fixed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a wonderful conversation. I've
1: had a blast. I've had a blast. Thank you for having me. Hey, and
0: I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. And that was my interview with Brendan Carrion. Like always, you can find this episode on SoundCloud.com slash Tabletop Radio Hour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, at TabletopCast, if you have any questions or comments. We also have an email address. It is TabletopRadioHour at Yahoo.com. Our website? TabletopRadioHour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling, 20s.